I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 30, if you'd like to follow along. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and the intelligence, and didst reveal them to babes. Yes, Father, for thus it is well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son reveals to him. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. We're all familiar with uh, invitations. Uh, Some invitations are very informal, like, uh, hey, you want to grab a bite to eat after the game, or you want to grab something to eat after church, you know? Some of them are a little more formal. Uh, maybe you send out an email kind of uh, invitation, inviting people, some of your friends, to a, a Super Bowl party or something. And then, of course, there are the very formal ones. When you receive an envelope and you open it, and there's another envelope inside, and you open that one, and there's the invitation, and it's done in you know real fancy calligraphy and, and such. <clears throat> Most often, invitations make us feel special as we are invited to be included in some occasion or activity that the one inviting wants to share with us. Sometimes invitations are special because of the one inviting, like being invited to a presidential ball or a governor's ball. Sometimes it's special because of what we're invited to be a part, maybe in an invitation to be a part of an honorary society or an all-star team or something. But Jesus gives us an invitation that far exceeds any invitation we could ever receive. It's not an exclusive invitation where only the elite are invited. It's an invitation extended to everyone. And it's not an invitation to a club or a fraternity or sorority or a party. It's an invitation to himself, to a relationship with him, an invitation to his kingdom, an invitation to live in a relationship of grace and a relationship that brings the deepest kind of blessing and peace that Jesus calls rest for our souls. What better invitation could we possibly be given? So today we're going to look at maybe what may be some of the most well-known words of Jesus and certainly some of the most comforting words that have ever been spoken to humanity. I've entitled it simply, The Great Invitation. Now, by way of context, in the previous verses, Jesus had pronounced judgment on the cities of Galilee. 
because of their opposition to him and the, their rejection of his ministry. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. Woe unto you, Capernaum, he said. If the miracles that had been done in Tyre and Sidon and Sodom had been done in you, they would have repented. It shall be more tolerable for those cities in the day of judgment, he said, than for you. Well, to many people listening to Jesus, this might appear that his ministry was failing, that it had been a failure. They might even see this as, as his uh, just, just lashing out in anger for, because of the rejection. People everywhere were rejecting him. And the messenger that was to go before him to prepare the way was in prison. That could seem like failure. So Jesus, before he extends that invitation, he first takes the opportunity to explain his kingdom and why some people are rejecting it. And then he will extend his great invitation to us all. Now, before we move on into our passage for today, um, I need to correct something that I said last week in the message. Um, You know, Jesus talked about the cities of Tyre and Sidon and Sodom. And while in that passage, talking about those cities... I made the statement that the cities of Tyre and Sidon were not in existence at that time of Jesus. Well, that's not correct. It's the city of Sodom that was not in existence at the time of Jesus. Because you'll remember what happened to the city of Sodom back in the Old Testament. God brought down a hailstorm of fire on it and destroyed the city. So it was no longer in existence. But the cities of Tyre and Sidon indeed were in existence at the time of Jesus. In fact, the Gospel of Mark tells us that Jesus visited the regions of Tyre and Sidon. And so I, I said that inadvertently, that, uh, that they, they were not, and so I just wanted to correct that uh, misstatement uh, on my part. So with that, now let's look at our passage. As Jesus begins to explain further about his kingdom, <clears throat> Jesus now makes it clear that there is a divine design and a divine purpose in those who respond to Jesus and those who reject him. That what is happening, that is, this widespread rejection that he seems to be dealing with, it's not something that's taken him by surprise. It is, in fact, part of God's plan. The first thing he says is that the kingdom comes to those who see their need. Verse 25, And at that time Jesus answered and said, I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to babes. Yes, Father, for it was well-pleasing in your sight. At that time, as verse 25 begins, meaning immediately following the pronouncements of judgment 
that we looked at last week in the previous passage. At that time, following those judgments, Jesus answered and said, well, what did he answer? Well, I think this suggests that he was addressing the thoughts and questions that people were thinking, if not outright asking. How can this be the kingdom of God? When it hasn't come as we expected it. People are rejecting it. There's no judgment on the wicked and the forerunner is in prison. How can this, how can this be the kingdom of God? Jesus answered and said, so what is his response? I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus begins to praise God for what is taking place. He praises him as the one who is sovereign over all creation. He is Lord of all things in heaven, and he is Lord over all things on the earth. And he praises the Father specifically for this. I praise you, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and you have revealed them to babes. I praise you, Father, that you have done this. What exactly does he mean that God has hidden things from some and revealed them to others? Well, What are these things to which he refers here? You have hidden these things. Well, these things in the context would be the miracles that Jesus had done. And not only that, but being able to see the significance and the meaning of the miracles. Specifically, that these miracles that Jesus had performed are evidence and point to him as the Messiah. So there are some that saw the miracles and they dismissed them. They meant nothing to them. He does them by the power of a demon. But others saw them as evidence and proof that Jesus really was the Messiah. So what does Jesus mean when he says This evidence of him being the Messiah, the miracles specifically, this evidence was hidden from some, but revealed to others. Hidden to the wise and intelligent. Hidden from the wise and intelligent, but revealed to babes. Does this mean that if you are wise and intelligent and educated, that God has decided not to reveal himself to you. And if you are a babe in some way, that then you receive God's favor. Is this an arbitrary selection by God? The wise are are out, but the babes are in. I don't think that's how this is to be understood. The wise and the intelligent are those who see themselves as sufficient in in their relationship to God. They They see no real need for God in their lives. They've got life figured out. 
in their minds, they are, they're sufficiently good enough to stand before God. There's a certain pride and arrogance. And they don't really see a need for Jesus. And to those who do not see their need for Jesus, the gospel is hidden to them. Their need for Jesus is hidden because of their arrogance and their self-righteousness and their self-sufficiency. They can't see Jesus for who he is because they see no need for him. On the other hand, there are those who are babes. The babes are those who see their need and have a childlike simplicity of dependency upon God, a childlike faith. There's no pretense of being righteous enough or good enough. They know they are sinners and desperately in need of Jesus. And Jesus is revealed to them as the Messiah and the Savior that he really is. And then Jesus adds in verse 26, Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in your sight. Far from being failure, the ministry of Jesus was just as God had planned it. God knew that Jesus would be rejected by the arrogant and the prideful, the self-righteous who saw no need for Jesus. And he knew that he would be accepted by the babes of this world. Jesus here is reaffirming to those around him and to us that this is the nature of his kingdom. This is the nature of God. It pleases God that those babes of this world have seen their need and come to Jesus and believed in him. So in the midst of what some might consider abject failure, Jesus publicly praises God that all things are going according to the Father's plan. His kingdom is not for the proud and the self-righteous, but for those who see their need. So the message of Jesus here is that it is God's plan and purpose that God's favor comes to those who see their need for God and who see their need for a Savior. And it is clearly seen by those who see their need. Jesus next speaks to the unique authority given to him by the Father. Verse 27. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Jesus, as the Messiah, as the Savior, has been given by the Father, from the Father, all authority for the salvation of sinners and bringing the kingdom of God to this world. And what he is doing is not a failure. He has all authority. 
and therefore is carrying out his plan, which is simply radically different from what they had expected of the Messiah. And then he says this, And no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. Jesus speaks here of the intimate and unique relationship he has with the Father. His point seems to be that he wants to reassure the people that he knows the Father intimately. And the Father knows Jesus intimately. Therefore, Jesus is perfectly carrying out the Father's will. And then he adds this. We need to read it in the context of the verse. No one knows the Father except the Son, nor does anyone know the Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son. And he adds this. And anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Those who have come to know the Son and believe in him. Who are they? They are the babes of the previous verses. Those who see their need for Jesus. And it is those to whom the Son wills or chooses to reveal himself. And when they see their need for Jesus, they will then come to have a relationship with the Father and they know him as well. So Jesus has explained his kingdom that it's not a failure, that he has come for those who see their need. There are those to whom he reveals himself as the Messiah and the Savior. And they come in faith. They see their need. And they come in faith and embrace him. Well, Jesus, it's like he now turns to the crowd and in a way, he practices here what he has just preached. He extends the invitation now to come to him. And who does he invite? Well, everyone. Everyone is invited. Everyone who simply sees their need. And in these words, we have some of the most gracious words ever spoken. Verse 28. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load is light. I want to break this down as we look at it. First, we're going to look at his invitation. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. Jesus is speaking to those who are weary and heavy laden. Weary, it means to be worn out, burned out, tired out. 
and sometimes a sense of hopelessness and giving up. You're tired of trying. And heavy laden means to be burdened down, pressed down, crushed by a weight upon our shoulders. The weight of our sin and the the guilt of our sin, the weight of our failures, the weight of having blown it again when we so wanted to do it right, the weight of broken promises and the, the weight of broken relationships. And Jesus envisions us going through life weary and carrying these heavy burdens. And nothing seems to really help. Some people try to drink it away and that'll lessen the pain. Some people try to distract themselves with material things and toys and whatever. Some people try to find fulfillment in sex or drugs. or Some people just say, I'm going to just really try to be good. And nothing, really, nothing really eases the burden. But Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, he says. Come to me with your weariness and your heavy burdens. This is the invitation to come to Jesus. He invites us to come to him. He invites all to come. With whatever weariness, with whatever burden we may have. But what does it mean to come? What's, what, what's in, what, what does it mean to come to Jesus? In what sense do we come? Well, we come to him in faith realizing our need for him and laying aside our pride that says, I'm okay, I can handle this, I can, I can do this, I can do this, I can handle this. We lay aside that pride and we come to him believing that he is the Son of God and the Savior And we come to him as the one who loves us and cares for us. The one who is a shepherd, a friend, a counselor. The one who is strength. The one who gives us hope. The one who said he would never leave us or abandon us. This is the invitation of Jesus. Come. Come to him. And he invites us to come and take his yoke upon ourselves. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Come, you who are weary and heavy laden. Come and take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So Jesus here uses the imagery of a yoke different kinds of yoke back in biblical times. 
There were yokes that were used to harness animals. You know, you, you've seen pictures of them, a carved piece of wood that, that, you know, with a kind of carved out place on each side that would go on the shoulders maybe of a couple ox and it would be fastened to it and and then a person might uh, attach their wagon or something plow uh, to that yoke and the, and the yoke would the, the the oxen would push ahead and and and, and that's the yoke but but here I, I don't think he's talking necessarily about a yoke of oxen a double yoke he's here he's talking about a human yoke, and what might be a shoulder yoke used for carrying heavy objects or pulling items. And the picture is that of people who are struggling and just burdened down with the weight of life. They're weary and heavy laden, and Jesus says, here, Take my yoke. It will help you with those burdens. So picture someone, maybe they're walking along a path, and they've got just a large bucket on each side, you know, and a, and a handle, and, and, and those large buckets, maybe they're 30, 40 gallons or something, and they're, you know, they're lifting them up, and they're, they, they can only carry them so far, and they've got to set them down again and take a rest, and then they pick them up again, and they're struggling. And someone comes up and says, here, here, use my yoke. And, and, and the yoke is a, is a carved shoulder harness that goes across the shoulders. And it's carved to fit the shoulders and the back of the neck. And it extends out. And then it's got ropes going down and maybe a hook on the end of each rope. And you, and you hook those on, on, on the handles of those buckets. And then you can stand up using that yoke, and so you're much more able to carry that weight using the strength of your back and the strength of your legs. And that's the idea. Jesus says here, take my yoke for those burdens. It will help you. And what is Jesus' yoke? What is his yoke that helps us with the burdens in our life. He says, take my yoke and learn from me. It is to learn from him. It is to follow him. And the, it, it, it's, it's fascinating that the word learn in, in the Greek text and the word disciple come from the same root. One is a verb, one is a noun. Mathetio, mathetes. But they, and, and so Jesus says, learn from me. He's saying, follow me, be my disciples. Take my yoke of learning from me and following me. He invites us to come to him, to follow his ways. And in following Jesus, we gain strength for the burdens of life that we must carry in following him. And something else about his yoke, he said, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. 
Is Jesus saying, well, come to me and your, your, your life will be easy? No. Christians are subject to the same realities of this fallen world as everyone else in this fallen world. The same burdens, the same sickness, the same death, business failures, financial hardships as other people in the world. We're not exempt from them. Plus, Jesus, in addition to that, Jesus has already told us that if you follow him, you may experience persecution and rejection. It may even get worse. So in what way is the yoke of Jesus, is his load, light? It is so because of who Jesus is. Following Jesus is not oppressive. It's freedom to become the kind of people that God designed us to be. In following him, we become different people. The Apostle Paul describes it in one place. as a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience and bearing with one another and forgiving each other. That's the yoke of Jesus and learning from him. And then we see his person. He says, for I am gentle and humble in heart. This is the one who asks us to take his yoke and follow him. He is the one to whom the Father has given all authority. He is the one who pronounces judgment on the cities that rejected him. But he is the one who shows abundant grace to those who come to him. Our relationship in following him is not that of a a severe and harsh taskmaster He relates to us in our brokenness and weariness and burdens and failures, not with condemnation, but with gentleness. Jesus relates to us with gentleness and humility, not lording our failures and our weakness over us. That's the way he is in his heart. I am gentle and humble in heart. And that is the way he is to us. If we put it in one word, it would be grace. Jesus relates to us in grace. And then finally we look at his promise. And I will give you rest. And he repeats it again, and you shall find rest for your souls. What is the rest that Jesus gives to those who are weary and who come to him? The rest that Jesus gives, it's not an external or a superficial rest, but a rest that is deep within us. It's a rest for our souls. What is that rest? Our outward circumstances 
and the external pressures on us may not change. But in the midst of the pressures, the burdens, the weariness, the demands, and the uncertainties of the world, in the midst of all of that, in coming to Jesus and taking on his yoke, he can give us a deep and settled rest. It is a rest that is forgiveness when we are burdened with guilt for what we've done. Whether it's when we come to him for the first time or when we come again and again and again, we have the confidence and the assurance of forgiveness that he forgives us for what we've done. Not because we're worthy, not because we've decided to turn over a new leaf or some moral reform. Because of what he's done for us on the cross, he forgives us. The penalty for our sins has been paid, and he forgives us. And, that, and that's a rest for our souls to know that whatever we've done, whatever our past, there's forgiveness in Jesus. It's a rest that is the assurance that things are right with God. We can only be right with God through Jesus. Coming to him, we know then that our relationship to God is not based on our performance, but we are right with him because of Jesus. It's a rest that is, it's a new beginning that Jesus gives to us, wiping our slate clean. We can have a new start, a new beginning. We begin a new life. A new life with Christ. Yeah, we've, it may be bad to look on the past, but we've got a new life in front of us in Christ. And that's rest for our souls. It's a rest that is that is new strength, moral and spiritual strength to be a different person. It may not happen suddenly. It may not happen overnight. The changes that need to p- take place, the behavior, the patterns that have been built into our lives over a lifetime, but we have now the power and strength to be a different person by following Jesus. And that's a rest for our souls. I don't have to be the person I was. And it's a rest that is hope. A hope knowing that this world will never be perfect and there's a lot of injustice, a lot of unrighted wrongs in this world. But the hope that one day All things will be made new. And we look forward to that time when God makes all things new. And that's a rest for our souls. So this is the great invitation that Jesus extends. 
extended to all. But the wise and the intelligent, they don't hear it because they don't see their need. But for those who see their need, who are weary and heavy laden, the invitation of Jesus comes as life-giving words. Let's just hear these words again and allow them to speak to you. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my load is light. That's the invitation of Jesus to you today to come to him. Maybe it's coming to him for the first time. To come to him for the forgiveness of your sins and eternal life. Maybe maybe you've come before but you've wandered away and you need to come back. Come to him. Maybe you are just weary and heavy laden. And you need to come to him. And you see him as the one who can give you rest for your souls. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song together. But I wanted to just highlight some of these words before we sing it. But you can sing these words and mean them. Come, ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. That, that's what life is like in this world. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity but joined with power. He is able. He is able. But not only that, he's willing. Doubt no more. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, right out of Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Come, ye weary, heavy laden, bruised and broken by the fall. And get this now. I, this may be the most powerful line in here. If you tarry till you're better, you will never come at all. If you think, well, I'm, I'm, I, I think I can just change a few things and I'll be okay. If you tarry till you're better, you'll never come. Because not the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners Jesus came to call. Let not conscience make you linger, nor of fitness fondly dream. Don't think that, you know, that you have to reform yourself in order to come. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him the babes who see their need. And this 
he gives you. Come to him today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for these wonderful words of comfort and invitation. We pray that the Spirit of God might be pleased to use your words, the hearts of all who are gathered here today, Lord. Those who are burdened, weary, heavy laden, the guilt of sin, Lord, may you draw them to yourself, show them that you are the Savior, the only Savior, and the sufficient Savior. Draw them to yourself, Lord. And for those who know you but are indeed weary and heavy laden, may they come to you again today, Lord, to find that strength, hope, comfort, or counsel that they need to accomplish your purposes in great measure. In Jesus' name. Amen.